I, I need to know when to start telling you to listen faster. <laughs> Turn in your Bibles to James in the New Testament this morning, and uh, we're going to look at that in a moment. I want to just say it's nice to be here. It's been a long time since I've been able to be here and to, to preach, and uh, I want to say thank you, church, first of all, for all your prayers uh, during my illness. God's done a wonderful thing, and uh, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good again. And uh, I look out there, and a lot of my friends, you guys are getting old. <laughs> Man. Now, I want to thank you uh, also, church. Um, many of you know that I serve as chaplain for the law enforcement agencies here in the, in the county and uh, through the sheriff's department. And as a missionary, missions-giving church, uh, you help support that ministry. So I say thank you for that. We moved to Mount Shasta in um, 1988, a long time ago. Hoyt was in the ninth grade, started ninth grade. And I just want to say thank you, church, for taking care of our kids all those years, for being a church that challenged, that encouraged, and you continue to do so with the young people and all that they're part of in this church. And... Um, you know, uh, my wife and I have traveled a lot as a missionary, and the last 17 years we've been over in Callahan and Cecilville, and um, haven't been, been at home, my home church. I live in Mount Shasta, sleep in Mount Shasta, but I'm all over the county. But I just say thank you, church, for being so supportive in all those things. In the book of James... Chapter 3, remember that James is writing to a group of people, a group of believers. James is writing to believers who have been scattered, who have been persecuted, and he challenged them in a lot of ways. But as a group of people coming together and making up the body of Christ where they were and, and becoming the church in the places where they were living at that time, they had a lot of issues as a church. And James is writing to encourage them, to challenge them to, to live for the God and where they are. We just sang that song, We, we Surrender at the Cross. We give our lives to Jesus at the cross. We need to continue making that commitment. In James chapter 3, I'm going to begin reading at verse 13 through the end of the chapter. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure. Then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, peacemakers who sow in peace 
raise a harvest of righteousness. Father, speak to our hearts today. May we be open to the challenge that you give us to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. The Bible, as you read the Bible, as you study the Bible, and especially as we get into the New Testament and and really see what our life is like in Jesus Christ, there's always the contrast. There's always the world on one side and all that it has to offer. And then there is God and Jesus and our spiritual life on the other side. And there's always a battle going on. I remember reading, even Paul said that... um, those things he wanted to do, he couldn't do. And, and those things he didn't want to do, he found himself doing them. It's a constant struggle in our life. And, and so as James writes to these believers, he's aware, he's received word about problems in the church and different things, and, and he's writing to encourage them. I remember an elderly preacher saying one day that he had those same struggles He said it was like two dogs inside fighting all the time. And someone said, well, which one wins? He said, the one I say sick him to. You see, you and I make the choice. The options are out there. You and I make the choice of how we are going to live our lives, of how we are going to represent Christ in this world. We make the choice. Sometimes we bemoan and say, oh, if this, if this, if this. We make the choice. In this passage, we have the contrast of earthly wisdom and heavenly wisdom. And I'm going to mention a couple things, but I want to focus on the last two verses this morning. But first of all, you notice that um, the wisdom, human wisdom, is that which boasts about things. It does not come from heaven. It is earthly, unspiritual, of the devil. He talks about envy and selfish ambition. And envy for something that someone else has leads to selfish ambition in people's lives. The original word meant to gain office or gain something by dishonest means. And James says that the problem starts on the inside. We harbor the bitter envy, and it becomes selfish ambition. Solomon writes in in the book of Proverbs 4.23, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. We let our guard down. We, we, we don't continually guard what is in our heart because Jesus said in Matthew 12, 34, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. We could say a lot about that. But let me just mention a couple things. If you think angry thoughts, then angry words are sure to follow. If you dwell on your problems, they will soon overwhelm you. If you feel like a victim, soon you will become a victim. If you give way to worry, don't be surprised when you can't sleep at night. If you focus on how others misunderstand you, you will soon be angry and bitter. What goes in sooner or later in our thoughts 
comes out. It is important for us to know that we make the choice in these matters. When there's envy, when there's selfish ambition, you have problems. And remember, James is writing to the church. James is writing to believers. And there have been problems in the church from day one because we still have our human nature. Sometimes at the foot of the cross and we've surrendered to Jesus, but sometimes we haven't surrendered everything. And years later, sometimes we still hold on to something or we take something back. Repentance doesn't mean just so we might have salvation. Repentance means that we turn our whole life over to God. That we repent of everything that is on the inside. That we give up everything. But when that does not happen, when the church comes together and they begin to argue and fuss over this and that, and again, it's human nature. You guys don't do that, do you? Uh, peaceful, all right. But it happens. I used to be the area missionary, and I saw things in churches I never would have believed could happen in a church. Because in the heart, people harbored bitterness. People were envious. People had selfish desires. People wanted to be in charge, be in control. And they would argue for their point. And some of them reached a level where it's my way or the highway. And it became problem after problem. James is writing to that. And James could be writing and is writing to the church today. So here's what happens in a church. Starting within the individual life. Those who have to put themselves first. They put an end to Christian peace. They destroy the work of God. They turn new believers away from the church. They dishonor the Lord. They grieve the Holy Spirit. They cause weak Christians to give up the faith in despair. They force people to take sides on things that are not commanded. They injure the testimony of the church. They confirm the criticism of skeptics that the church is full of hypocrites. They cause the enemies of the gospel to rejoice. In the end, these are the things that destroy the body of Christ, that destroy local churches in a variety of places. But I want to look at the last two verses and really focus on that today because it's the positive side. It's the heavenly wisdom that we ought to be seeking. It's how we ought to live our lives every day in our homes, in the marketplace, in the workplace, in the schools. And it's a real challenge. And we see seven things. We could call them seven marks of heavenly wisdom, of God's wisdom. You may have heard the little saying, Life is hard, but it's harder when you're stupid. <laughs> we chuckle at that, and yet we know it's true. Someone, someone claims that John Wayne uttered those words. Uh, I don't know whether he originated them or not, but I did hear him say it one time. Let's turn that around. Let's, let's put the uh, biblical spin on it, if you will. 
life is hard, but it's easier when you have God's wisdom. That's better, isn't it? And that statement is just as true as the first statement. James 1.5, he said, If you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. I like that phrase, our generous God. Whenever we are ready to say, God, I have made a mess of things, he's ready and willing to help us to give us the wisdom that we need. Now, remember this, knowledge and wisdom are not the same thing. Knowledge refers to the accumulation of facts. When I was going to school, you know, libraries full of books. I've got a lot of books in my office at the house. Books to no end. I wish I could say I've memorized all of them, but I can't. And then comes, along comes the age of computers and the knowledge is vast. Push a couple of buttons and right in front of you, you can see and learn and know almost anything going on anywhere in the world. I can't fathom that hardly. But that doesn't make you wise. It means you have knowledge of many things. But wisdom gives us understanding of what the facts mean. Wisdom in my simple way, is the common sense use of the facts as we know them. So what does wisdom look like? Verses 17 and 18 gives us the seven marks of God's wisdom. Let me read it one more time. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. First of all, God's wisdom is pure. Wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, pure. Because God is pure, everything that comes from Him is pure, and the word simply means free from moral stain. Purity, free from moral stain. Have you ever, any of you ever used, uh, we have some construction types in here. Any of you ever used one of those power washers to clean something up? Uh, you know, I think I have a, a weak version of one that, you know, I tried to clean the house one time to, to be able to paint. But they've got some, man, what, 1,400 pounds per square inch. That thing will take the, that'll, that'll rip the boards right off your porch if, you, if you're not careful. And when they get ready to stain the new deck or whatever they, they're doing with it, they just take that thing, get into the corners, and it just wipes out, obliterates all of the grease and the grime and the mold and whatever's been growing there. It cleans it. I mean, it takes it right down. And that's what you and I need in our lives. We need a good cleansing from the Spirit of God to take care of some of that stuff that we harbor from time to time, that we can get back to that state of purity as best we can in our human nature. And so the first mark of wisdom is purity. 
And that's what we need in our lives. It comes first because without purity, nothing else in this list matters. Did you hear that? Without purity, without seeking after God's purity, nothing else on the list matters. And if we are not willing, if we are not ready to say, God, wow, I want to be more like you. I want to move in that direction of purity. If we are not ready to do that, then you might as well not even read the rest of the list because you can't even get to it. It'll not happen unless we are ready to begin to say, I want to live a pure life. God, I need your cleansing every day. Every day. Matthew 5, 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And that's not theory. That's how life works. When we are cleansed, when our sins are forgiven, we can see God. And we can know God in that way. How much do you want to be pure? Let me tell you something. In this world in which we live, if you begin to seek after purity, it puts you out of step with the world. Because that's not where the world is. If you're all right with being out of step with the world, then we can think about the other things on this list. But if, the world, if you need the world's approval, you're already out of step with God. The second mark of wisdom It is peace-loving. Wisdom that comes from heaven is peace-loving. Did you know some people just don't want to get along? I'm sure none of you have ever experienced that anywhere, have you? That some people do not want to get along? I can't already imagine that. They would rather fight than talk. They yell when they should listen. They never give an inch because they think they're always right. They aren't concerned about finding a middle ground because it's my way or the highway. They are peace breakers, not peacemakers. The Greek word for for peace loving speaks to our attitude in times of conflict. When we're under pressure, then can you be a peacemaker? The pressure is upon us. Can we be a peacemaker? James warns us about earthly wisdom that is unspiritual and of the devil. And that's what happens when we're under pressure. A peaceable person brings peace wherever they go. You ever ever been in a room, maybe you go for a meeting or, or whatever it is, and one person walks in and they suck the life right out of the room? Someone else walks in and, man, there's just a calmness, a peace, and and, and we love it, do we not? Over all the years, I've I've attended a lot of uh, preaching conferences and a lot of things, and I would hear some things, and I would see certain styles. I said, boy, I like that. Well, you can't be someone else, but I tell you, we can learn some things. We can say, you know, I kind of like that. I think if I model that a little bit, that'll be a good thing to do. I got to tell you this. In Callahan, how many have been to Callahan? Whoa, I've never seen any of you at church. (laughs) 
I'm there every Sunday. In Callahan, we have a small building up on the hill just above the old store there. And uh, established, the church was established in 1894. We've been around a while over there. And, uh, but I, it's the first church I've pastored that had a balcony. And uh, we don't use it but uh, other than to store stuff, you know. But there was a balcony, and I said, ah, you know, all these years, I wanted to do my Billy Graham impersonation. And I can do it in Callahan because we have a balcony. And I can say at the end of the service, folks, if you want to come to Jesus, your bus will wait for you. They're coming down out of the balcony. They're coming from all over the auditorium. Only takes a couple minutes, though, to do that in Callahan. You see, we don't, we don't do everything. <laughs> we don't model everything. But I tell you, there's some things that are important, and peace-loving is important. And a peaceable person brings peace into the, in, into the room, into the lives of other people. In Proverbs, Solomon said, A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. Peace-loving, that's a mark of wisdom. Thirdly, it is gentle. Wisdom that comes from heaven is considerate. Now, this is a quality that's a little bit hard to capture in, in one English word, gentle, because it means gentle, non-combative, not quarrelsome, not easily annoyed. So how do you respond under pressure? If you have to shout, you lose. You have to threaten, you lose. Someone said it this, put it this way, if you lose your cool, you can't win. If you keep your cool, you can't lose. Gentleness. When do we need this kind of wisdom? When do we need a gentle spirit? I can tell you, when traffic backs up on the freeway. When someone cuts you off and you're, when you're driving. Don't get a lot of that up here, but I, I came out of the Bay Area. When someone cuts in line and, and, you know, you have to wait another minute to order your food. Or someone starts yelling at you. The quality of sweet reasonableness. We need that when we deal with difficult people. We need it when dealing with Christians who sin, with friends who disappoint us. If you believe in Jesus, you can be gentle because he has been gentle with us. Psalm 103 verse 10 says, He does not punish us for all our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. Gentleness under pressure. I always tell people, I do not put Christian symbols on my car because it would probably be a negative testimony in certain traffic conditions. You may have heard the story. The guy had the bumper sticker on his car and he comes to a light one day, stops at the red light, and the guy behind's honking his horn and finally he gets out, walks back there. The light is red. Oh, 
I was reading your bumper sticker. It said, honk if you love Jesus. I love Jesus. <laughs> so I don't put anything on my car because, uh, and my wife tells me that my boys take after me. I don't know if that's true or not. You know, like, drive it or park it. That's not gentleness. Now, I don't say it to their face. I, you know, I, I stay in my locked car. Muddle, mumble it to myself. You get the picture, do you? That's not what we need to be. We need to be gentle. There needs to be a sweet gentleness. Here's a key. Remember what Jesus has done for you. Then go and do likewise. Number four. God's wisdom is persuadable. Wisdom that comes from heaven is submissive, is the word used. Now, this, is, this, this quality may be a little easier to see if we turn it around. Earthly wisdom is arrogant and stubborn. It refuses to listen, has no desire to hear anyone else's opinion. But God's wisdom looks nothing like that. The Greek word means easy to persuade. And, I, I, and I, I, let me just say that easy to persuade, hopefully in the right way. Because some, some people are followers, and they can be led off in the wrong direction. They can be persuaded to get involved in things they should not be involved in. But when we're talking about godly wisdom, it's talking about attitudes in our heart, in our lives, and we need to be able to be persuaded toward God. We need to be submissive to God. Some people said, one person said, I can't be submissive to anybody. And that included God. And they were not. They were not a happy camper most of their life. A person with this quality listens carefully because they believe they can learn something from someone else. That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. We can learn from someone else. We need to be teachable. We desperately need a revival of kindness in our land. And it begins with listening more than talking. Earlier in James, uh, he talks about the tongue. Another whole sermon, you know, we could, yeah, I don't think you want to stay that long. We could talk about all of that stuff. But I want us to stay focused on these key things to God's wisdom. And it begins with listening more and talking less. And then number five, God's wisdom is merciful. He said wisdom that comes from heaven is full of mercy and good fruit. Mercy is more than a feeling. We can say, oh man, I have mercy on that person. That's a feeling. But it's more than that. Mercy looks out, they see, it sees a need, and then it meets that need as best it can. When we see something going on in people's lives, we have mercy if we start to do something to help them. If we want to make a difference in their trouble. And I think that's why maybe he adds that little statement, full of good fruit. Sympathy is good, but only if it moves us to some kind of action to meet the needs of people. And, you know, the Bible's got some stuff to say about that as well, about helping people, about doing things 
ministering to those who are, who are needy, who are hurting, who are sick, who are in prison. All of those things are part of showing mercy. We live in an unmerciful world. Vengeance is the watchword, but God calls you and I to a higher standard. Remember that, people. As Christians, God calls us to a higher standard to live out our lives. Because of God's great mercy, he sent his son to die on the cross. God's mercy moved to action, provided a way for our salvation because we could not do it ourselves. Think about this for a moment. Because when we read the Old Testament, how did the people live their lives? How did they show themselves to be righteous? God gave them the Ten Commandments plus more. Not the Ten Suggestions, the Ten Commandments. And then we break the commandment, we've broken the whole law, and and, and we deserve the punishment. And so God sits on His throne, and He looks down and He said, you know, I'm sorry you couldn't keep the law. There's really nothing I can do about it. I hope it all works well for you. No, God in His mercy saw that mankind could not keep the law, that we are sinners by nature, and there was only one thing that could make a difference, and God gave the great sacrifice. Jesus sacrificed Himself to die on that cross. God's mercy toward us that we might be called his children if we receive the gift that God has offered. A simple definition of mercy, do unto others as God has done unto you. Think back over the last 12 months, make it easy. In fact, this is your homework assignment when you go home because, you know, I, I can't give you enough time to think back for a whole year. Think about what God has done for you. How has God blessed you this past year? And I'll bet you can't even write them all down because you can't remember them. But, but do the best you can with it. How has God treated you? Has God blessed you? Then you need to bless someone else. Has God forgiven you? Hey, we can offer forgiveness to others. Has God lifted you up when you were down? Then look around and see who you can lift up. Who does God put in your pathway that you might be able to lift up and encourage when they are down? Has God overlooked your faults? Then we need to learn how to overlook the faults of others. And someone will come right back. Oh, but they're not following what the Bible says. Are you? I love the little statement Jesus made when they brought the woman caught in adultery. He who is without sin cast the first stone. That doesn't mean we can just sin as we like and and no one's going to judge us. We are judged by the Scriptures. We are judged by our actions. But God is the judge. How much has He overlooked our faults? How many times do we want to nail somebody because they made a mistake? That's not mercy. So when you go home and you bake your list of how God has blessed you, see if you can show mercy to other people doing likewise. Number six, wisdom that comes from heaven is impartial. 
impartial. Now, this, uh, this Greek word used here in the New Testament, and it's used only here, means holding firm to the same standard at all times. Boy, that's a good one. need to memorize that. You need to stick it wherever you stick stuff you want to learn and remember. Holding firm to the same standard at all times. God does not look upon us and one day treat us this way and the next day treat us this way. How many play baseball or played? Oh, a couple, okay. You know, who do we get mad at? The umpire. Because he called a strike. I can't believe that was not a strike. But here's what the ball players want. They want consistency from the umpire. So if they come to bat four times in the game, and every time they are at bat, the umpire calls exactly the same. If the ball's a little bit outside, but he calls it a strike, and you know that's what he's going to do, then you're ready for it. Consistency is important. Impartial, being impartial is important because we treat everyone the same every time, all the time. And we have a hard time with that. I'm going to treat you depending on how you act. Holding firm to the same standard at all times. This is the person that is free from prejudice and favoritism. Now, applying it to the spiritual life, it means we tell the truth the first time. We don't change our story depending on who the audience is. You don't treat one group better than another, and you're the same in public and in private. I'm sorry, folks. I try to be what you see is what you get. <laughs> and I hope I'm that way if you see me out on the street or wherever you might see me. Then I'll be the same. Then I'll be consistent. Christian, that's a huge testimony to the world. Our consistency, our never changing. Wow, if you're, if you're the boss and you come into the workplace and today, man, you're happy, things are good at home and all that good stuff, and you're pleasant to your employees, and tomorrow you come in and it's bad at home and you bite off the heads of everybody working for you, that's not consistency. You can have a nervous body of workers. Wonder what kind of mood he's in today. Wonder how he's going to react today. Oh, wow, you tell him the bad news. I don't want to. The same everywhere. And then number seven, the wisdom that comes from heaven is sincere. It is sincere. That phrase simply means without hypocrisy. Wisdom that comes from heaven has no hypocrisy. The original meaning was um, not playing a part. And this came out of the Greek, uh, you know, theater stuff where one person played several parts and, and so they'd put on a mask so they could play one part and they'd run back and put on a different mask and play another part. And, 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 and God says his wisdom is not like that. We're not about playing parts. We want to be sincere. We want, to, we want people to see us as we are. And we don't need to wear a mask. We don't need to pretend to be someone else. To be without hypocrisy means that what you see is what you get. Not two-faced. 
I don't want people to say, I wonder what he meant by that comment. I've often said over the years, as a pastor, being in the ministry, I really, I really could not bring myself to be an insurance salesman or any other kind of salesman, Amway or whatever, you know, vacuum cleaners, brushes. Because when someone saw me coming, I never wanted them to say, I wonder if he's going to try to sell me that brush again. Or is he going to be here to talk about God? Verse 18 explains what happens when we live according to God's wisdom. Look at verse 18 one more time. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. You know, anger produces a harvest and so does peace. Anger produces a harvest of violence and hatred, while peace yields a bountiful harvest of righteousness, of mercy and love, kindness and forgiveness, of healing and reconciliation. Living life this way is not easy, but it is the best way because it makes life easier, and it is the life that God approves of. Remember, verse 17 says that this is the wisdom that is from above. We cannot work it up by trying hard. Living this kind of life demands the grace of God. He doesn't help us. If He doesn't help us, we descend into a dark place. Now, James gives us a little key here when he uses the word seed. Anybody ever plant a seed? Okay, some of you know that stuff. Parents sow seeds through the steady toil of raising their children. Missionaries sow seeds of love as they share Christ with others. We sow seeds of peace when we pray instead of firing off an angry email. We sow seeds by greeting others with a smile. We sow seeds by loving our enemies and doing good to them. We sow seeds of peace when we decide not to pass along rumors, we sow seeds of peace by being faithful to God over the long haul. It all takes time. We are a product of our lives. We are a product of how much we've gotten into the Word of God, how much we have let God's Word challenge us and change us. And I'll say to you, I say it from time to time, but it's true whether you hear a message of, from God's Word on the radio or the television or in the church or in a Sunday school classroom, when you open the Word of God and you read it, you are confronted with the truth of God and you walk away making a decision. That was a bunch of baloney. Or, wow, God really spoke to me today. I've got to make a change in my life every time. You hear a scripture verse. You are challenged to make a choice, and you make the choices. Psalm 126 and verse 6, still true today. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. How many of you remember that old hymn, bringing in the sheaves? Yeah, some of us are old enough. 
you got to go way back to the old, old, old Baptist hymnal or Methodist hymnal or something to find it anymore. If we hope to do anything useful in this world, we need God's wisdom. The good news, we can have it if we ask for it. But James 1.5 promises that God will give us wisdom if we ask. So here's, here's what you might think about praying. You know, Bible tells us that the example that Jesus gave to his disciples to pray that God's will would be done on earth as it's already being done in heaven. Here's some things to think about for yourself. When you're praying for your daily bread, or you're praying for God to just do something in your life, Lord, make me hungry for a pure heart. Lord, help me be a peacemaker, not a peace breaker. Lord, give me grace to reply gently when I feel like blowing my top. Lord, deliver me from feeling like I always need to defend myself. Lord, open my eyes to see the hurting people who need my help. Lord, set me free from partiality and favoritism. Lord, make me a person whose life is an open book. Lord, use me to plant seeds that will reap a great harvest for you. Father, these things are in our life. Give us that heavenly wisdom because we cannot live without it. Thank you for the challenge from James. In Jesus' name.